Well, good morning. How's it going? That's great. It's good to see y'all. Happy you can join us. Gonna pray and go ahead and sing. First, I've been told it's somebody's birthday. Yeah, this is Peg Pansot. It's your birthday, so happy birthday. We won't embarrass you and sing, but acknowledging everybody's here, you say happy birthday. Anybody else's birthday? Happy birthday to you as well. But if you want to stand up, we'll pray and uh, this morning to God. God, we love you. We're here for you. We thank you for the sunshine and just this uh, room to gather in. Uh, we are your church, God. Uh, we pray that we are your hands and feet. Just everything we do is for you, for your glory. Just uh, lift this time up to you. Pray for Leonard. Pray for Matt and the kids and just all of us as we uh, praise you and hear your word, God. Give us open ears and open hearts to, to hear what you're saying, um, to know what we need to lay down in our own lives um, to serve you better. So we love you. We praise you for this time and we give it to you, God. Amen. Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washing his Looking up, 
filled with his goodness, lost in his love. already. Go ahead and have a seat, everyone. We'll get through. It must be. Old school. How's that? You guys hear me okay? All right. We're just gonna we're just gonna go this way. <coughs> so um Sometimes sarcastic, sometimes helpful. Some most of the time I can't tell. So, uh, uh, but you know, you marry somebody smarter than you, then that's what you run into. So I've only I've just said that in church, which tells you the obvious that <coughs> it's true. <coughs> okay, well, how's everybody doing? Good. Well, it's good to see you all. Beautiful weather outside. The spring. What is it? The spring equinox. Spring solstice. One of those tilty things in the right direction going on. But it's also the Lord's Day, and that is the first day of the week. It is the harbinger of everything good that is yet to come. It is a weekly reminder that what's happened on the cross and through the empty tomb is a reality that is unfolding and will one day fully be realized. In the meantime... Uh, we live in that tension between where we are and where we're headed. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait to land in that space where God says everything has been restored and made new. And there is no more weeping, there is no more evil, there is no more sickness, there is no more death. And in the meantime, we have a struggle that we have to go through uh, in that tension, don't we? Where we have to deal with those realities. They can be pretty brutal sometimes. So when we think about those places in our lives where there is a gap between what is promised and what is real, we know that um, suffering is part of that. And I guess what I want to do for just a second, uh, as I greet everyone and greet our friends online, uh, is just quickly... Um, 
uh, go into our prayer time. And uh, I want to solicit any, I, I know, I don't know if we can pick it up or not for our online people, but just any, any quick praises or prayer concerns that you have, and I'll repeat them. Anyone have anything? Okay, Joe Carroll. Okay, so uh, pray for Carol McDonald. Okay, good, good. Um, Josh asked me to pray for a friend of their family, uh, Albert Cole family. Uh, Albert's mom passed away. Her name is Sue, and it's, it's been kind of difficult for you guys, so I want to lift that up. Anything else? Patty? Okay. Okay, your brother Jim? Good, good. Glad to hear that. That's been a struggle, I know, for him. Anyone else? Bonnie. Okay. Okay, what's your son-in-law's name, Bonnie? Andy Ayers, waiting for a kidney transplant. Okay. All right. Any others? I know that um, a lot of us have things that are happening. Um, I, I've some of, I shared this with the elders. I lost a, a best friend uh, this week uh, to cancer, uh, and it's been it's been kind of a rough week. Uh, so just pray for the John Garber family. And so when we take all of these things before the Lord, uh, we know that there is one who has the ability uh, to help in all of these areas and work things together for good. So let's, let's go to the Lord, shall we? Our Father, as we begin this first day of the week and we celebrate what it is that you've accomplished through your Son, how our lives are designed to live in sync with your purposes, and even this first day of the week is part of the rhythm that is so vital for our health, our well-being, our relationship with you, and our relationship with one another. And Lord, as we come here bearing burdens, I pray for all of these that we've mentioned, for those who, that are hurting and grieving, that you would show compassion and mercy and love. For those with sickness, we pray for healing. And for those who are waiting transplants, that you would work through um, the, the, the ambiguity and, and, and the difficulties and the messiness of life uh, to bring life to bear upon those who have that need. I pray, Father, for our people as we are at a particular phase of the pandemic, that as it has tuned our hearts and our minds to what is important and what's not important, and hopefully the role that you have in each of our lives and what that means and what our purpose is. Father, I pray for our church as we recalibrate and as we tune our hearts and our minds to your rhythms and your pace and your purpose, that you would just help us to see what we need to see for the road ahead. Minister to us as we bring our hurts and our burdens before you and before one another. And then just encourage us along the way. Father, we know that you have designed us specifically for 
the, the role of managing all of your creation for loving you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, for loving our neighbor as ourself. And everything is, is, is purposefully designed so that when we align with you, um, we, we find rest and well-being and hope and all of the things that would war against those intended realities in our lives um, are, are no longer forces that we have to overcome. And we know ultimately it's through Jesus that that, that begins to occur in our lives. I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord Jesus, that in the course of this message, you would be made known. And just help us now as we take our hearts and lay them before your throne and pray together the Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, as we uh, move into our, our, our next uh, installment in the book of Luke, I'm really looking forward to this part of it because I, I think it's going to speak to a lot of us, especially in light of what we've gone through and all the disruption and everything like that where I don't, I don't know how your experience has been, but I found that one day blurs into another, which blurs into another. Somebody asked me what happened last year, and it's like, that seems like that was so long ago, and then a, another part of me says, it seems like yesterday, and it just appears that all the boundaries of how we did things uh, basically just a little over a year ago uh, have been redefined so much that life is definitely taken on a whole new structure, or maybe no structure at all. And how many of you need structure in your lives? Anybody? Okay. You have calendars, you have rhythms, you have things that you do on particular days. Uh, you get up in the morning, you, you have uh, a certain set of routines. Uh, if you don't do those things, you get stressed out, don't you? Uh, yesterday, I had uh, basically a whole day uh, at home, and I have a friend who shows up every time I stay home. His name is Nigel, and Nigel actually likes routines. He has a routine where we get up in the morning, and he looks at me, and he says, are you going to make eggs? And I, I look at him, and I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'm making eggs. And so I get the eggs out, and I make them, and he looks at me. He's like, are you going to put hot dogs in there too? And I'm like, oh, you're kidding me. So we do that. I'm serious. I'm not making this stuff up. So we, we do that, and he's like, I got to go to the bathroom while you're doing that, but don't, don't do anything until I get back. So he'll go to the bathroom. I'll bring him back in, and then, then it starts. I'll go sit down and read the Bible, and he'll look at me, and he'll say, are we going outside? And I'm like, eventually, he's like, we need to go outside now. 
Well, we did go outside. I had to take my reading and put it off to the side because I just discovered that my routine and my structure was actually being defined by a dog. Uh, but I'll tell you how bad it is. Um, uh, you know, if I don't follow his directives, this is what I end up with. I'm just going to show you a taste of my world. Might have to turn the volume up a little bit. What do you want me? Oh, you want to go take a nap, don't you? <laughs> Is that what you want? You think it's time for a nap? Huh? Is that what you want? Okay. So there's a lot going on there, but basically he's going this, this whistling sound, which means that this is urgent. And the second thing I interpret is he's shaking his head, and then when I say you want to go for a nap, you watch his tail like a metronome. It starts taking off. And then after that, he backs up a little bit like I'm towing you out of the chair so that we can go that way. And then he'll kind of point that way. And, well, believe it or not, after he did that, I went and took a nap with him. And he'll get his little toy, and he'll lay there to chew on it for two seconds, and then he'll take a nap. And we do that on Saturdays, and it's sort of our routine. And that's just one little slice of what my Saturdays are structured like if I hang out with him. I pretty much lose all control of my day. He gets pretty worked up if we don't do things in sequence. And I looked at this kind of from a 20,000-foot view, and I had to ask the question, why is it that this dog needs these routines? And if he doesn't have them, why does he get so stressed out? And then I realized something. We are all designed to have routines that bring order to our lives. And it really doesn't just happen because we live in a modern world that's complex. It happens because at the very beginning of creation, God instructed us to do things in a somewhat orderly fashion. And even as he created the earth and then divided the day from the night and the stars in the sky and the moon and the sun and the water and the land and the plants and the animals, According to their kind, he differentiated things so that out of all of the chaos that would stress us out so much, he gave us peace in helping us to know that everything has a name and a place and an order and a role. And as God did that, do you know what he said each time he differentiated something? It's good. It's good. And after he would uh, do uh, a particular act, and he would look back, and I know he would just smile and say, oh, I feel very satisfied in that. And then after he created all of it, including us, what did he say about that? Oh, it's very good. It's very good. And then it says, on the seventh day, God did what? He rested. He just spoke the rest into being and it was part of the created order like everything else. And it was so important for God to help us to wrap our minds around this that he actually said, I have not only spoken it into creation, but I've also built it into community. 
Because, you know, a little bit down the road, when we fast forward, we find that there is a story about it being remembered. Only it was, by design, part of Ten Commandments that were, well, they were trying to help former slaves to get their lives back in order again, to be able to not just live at the mercy and the whim of a tyrant, but to live under the life-giving, liberating direction of a God who saved them. And it was such a wonderful thing for God to be able to bring these people and to place them in their own environment and begin to relate to them uh, with undivided attention. That when he gave the Ten Commandments, he included in the Fourth Commandment, remember the Sabbath, remember it, and keep it holy. Why was it, of all the things that he could have said, he included that? Well, if we fast forward all the way to the time of Jesus, this is still a matter of concern. And that brings us to our text today. And I want to explore this with you uh, with the understanding that um, we may not practice the Sabbath as they did in that time, but there's something going on in this text that showcases not only who Jesus is, but also what the Sabbath did mean and can mean for us, and how sometimes uh, we work against God's purposes by not um, recognizing the significance of things. So going to our text, if you have your Bible with you, please just take a look at Luke chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 5 for starters. But Jesus is actually going to move this theme Sabbath into another experience, I think for the purpose of bringing something to light about his identity. Luke does a really good job of drawing that out. So here we are on a Sabbath. That would be for a Jew, uh, be a Friday evening uh, to, to, to Saturday evening. It's that 24-hour period of time where they would meet in the synagogue and hear the word. It would be like church. So on a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat? And also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, there's some things going on here we got to bring to the surface. First of all, Jesus is going through the countryside with his disciples, healing people and proclaiming the good news. And that's pretty much his pattern. Claiming the good news and healing, healing and proclaiming. And Luke's pretty good about showcasing those two things. 
The Pharisees recognize the pattern, and they're disturbed by the way that Jesus is showing really how it is that we should live for God, because the way he's prescribing things is very different from the way that they are. And so he and his disciples are just traveling through the countryside, and you get this image of a group of stalkers. They're just kind of following a little bit at a distance, watching, waiting, looking for an opportunity, because by this time, as Luke has told the story, these guys are not, not only not happy, they are looking for a way to basically diffuse and disarm his influence. And the Sabbath, this is a gotcha moment for them, and they can't wait. And Jesus, interestingly enough, has a gotcha for their gotcha. You with me so far? There's a gotcha, and then there's a gotcha for their gotcha. All right? But that's what Jesus does. He does it so, so well. And the issue centers around that word, the Sabbath or the Shabbat, which for modern people, it's just one of those words that, well, we know it's in the Bible. We know people in the Old Testament did it. But beyond that, we're not really sure about the significance. But these guys were, and Jesus just brings to the surface the fact that, well, David kind of broke the law here. And you may be asking the question, was Jesus a lawbreaker? He was not, he was never a lawbreaker, but he did break their rules. And that's where we got to keep this straight. And that really creates a lot of the tensions. You know, it's, it, it's important to have rules for sure. And these guys knew that the Sabbath was one place that God said, this is sacred. And you can't really discount the Pharisees for trying to keep something sacred intact. But like so many, bless you, but like so many things, when you have rules that have to do with work or things like rest, how, what does that mean? How do, you, how do you do that right? And so what the Pharisees did was they created something called a fence around the rule, and the fence was a way of sort of staying inside the boundaries of the intent of the rule and, or, or the, the, the commandment. And so the rules were actually the fence that said, these are the things you do to keep the Sabbath, and it's sort of like how you apply it. And it got to be a very detailed list of things that you could and couldn't do. And if, I, if I've lost you, then let's just think about it this way. How many of you have ever, uh, it, with kids, said, why don't you guys go outside and play with sticks? And when, when, when the kids go outside to play with sticks, what happens? Somebody gets hit, right? Sometimes in the face. Usually there's some crying, there's some drama. Somebody lost an eyeball. It, it obviously was a bad decision out of the gate. And so they come back in and you're like, okay, well maybe it wasn't such a good idea to tell you to go out and play with sticks. You can play with sticks as long as you don't hit anybody with them, as long as you don't carve them into spears or knives. You can play with sticks as long as you don't swing them. 
You can play with sticks as long as you only hold on to them and don't throw them. And the list just goes on and on and on, where the kids eventually say, uh, can we find something else to do? And the joy was being able to play with the sticks, right? But the problem was it got lost in all of the, all of the details of what you can and can't do with the sticks that eventually playing with sticks became really just not interesting at all. And when God created the Sabbath, it was really by design something to help people out. It was, it was something that it wasn't like, do we have to do this, but rather we get to do this. So imagine being a slave and you were in Egypt and you're making bricks and you were finding day in and day out, all the days blurred together. There was no real structure except when we got up, we had to work seven days a week, every day. And that's just life. That's the life we knew. That's the life that we made our peace with. It was the life that, not perfect, but I guess it's all I know, and I'm eating, and I'm able to find a place to sleep, and I'm surviving. And God, when he saw this very miserable state of affairs and how we were designed for something so much better, said, when you guys are free, I want you to take a day and, and, and stop, because that's essentially what Sabbath literally means, to stop. Stop working, spend some time worshiping. Stop striving and spend some time resting. Spend some time doing things that you wouldn't normally do that are rejuvenating that are life-giving, that bring balance and order back to your lives. Spend time with your kids. Make love with your wife. Do those things that people do when they can just relax. It was a gift. And these guys, I know, looked at that and said, the Sabbath is a pretty special thing. When Jesus showed up, the Sabbath became, well, it became like, why bother? I mean, if you got this fence around it, and you're saying you can and can't do this down to every last detail of our existence, it's not really that helpful. I, I, just count me out. And so there were people who were saying that the, ro the problem that we are having in our country is the Romans, like the people who were before them and before them, they are all on our case because we weren't right with God in the Sabbath. And Jesus says something that's pretty shocking. He said to them, Son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. And I want you to wrap your mind around that for just a second. Because the Sabbath as God designed it, was intended to bring rest and well-being and a deep, deep soul, just contentment that could only be found in relationship with God. And if that wasn't happening, then it really wasn't serving its purpose. And Jesus came to basically embody 
everything that rest meant. And this just went over the heads of, the, of, his, of his adversaries there. They didn't get it. And he's not breaking the law in the sense that, well, let, me, let me just say this. There were kind of two, two sorts of laws. There were ceremonial laws, like the Sabbath, which if you break it, it's not like somebody gets hurt in that, in that sense. You, you break it, and you're actually hurting yourself. It is designed to bring the reality of the rest and the peace and the reality of heaven into the moment. It's sort of like you're experiencing beforehand what you're going to be able to experience all the time forever when you're with the Lord. It is just a signpost to something greater. And that something greater actually just showed up in the synagogue for worship on that Sabbath. But somewhere along the way, some graffiti must have got on the signpost and they misread it. So here Jesus is, and he's taking something very fundamental to why he came to your world and mine. And Luke is showing us something, that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Well, let's just move on into the next part of these verses that we're looking at. Because it says, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching as predictable. And the Pharisees are like, there's teaching, but we know there's also going to be healing. He's already done it on the Sabbath before. Luke mentioned that in chapter 4. Now, this is a gotcha moment. And so the scribes, okay, so there they are on the Sabbath, and they're in the synagogue. The word has been read, and Jesus is scanning the crowd, and the scrolls are on the rack behind him. The Pharisees are over here just waiting for their moment. And then there's a guy in the back of the room, and this guy is just, I mean, he's just sort of blending into the woodwork. He's not asking any questions. He's not saying, hey, I need some help. But Jesus understands that he's been dealing with a withered hand for a long time. And he calls him out. He says, hey, you. I'll pick on Brittany. Hey, you, back there, hiding behind that guy. Come on up here. You don't have to come up here, Brittany, but come on up here. And so the guy comes up, and Jesus is here, and the, 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 the gentleman with the withered hand is here, and, of course, behind him are the scrolls, the very word of God providing the backdrop. You know, when you do, when you do videos now, you got to have a backdrop so that, you know, it's not distracting. Jesus had his backdrop. He was doing the first well, he did the first scroll drop or mic drop, and he also did the first backdrop because there the Pharisees are. They see Jesus, they see the guy that's broken, and they see the law. Perfect frame for understanding what is getting ready to happen. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they're watching this, and they want to know is he going to do it? Is he going to heal him? And, well, if they do, then it's just one more nail 
in Jesus' coffin. Um, let's, let's back up just, just a second here. Um, but he knew their thoughts. I mean, if he couldn't read their minds, their body language was saying everything. I'm assuming that he knew both. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And then Luke writes, and he rose and he stood there and Jesus said to him, to them rather, all right, you guys, I'm asking you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or destroy it? Just two questions I have for you. Which is it going to be? And honestly, they built the fence. They knew what was inside the fence. And they knew that the Sabbath was supposed to be a moment where we recognize that resting in the Lord is the most rejuvenating thing a person could possibly do. It is the most soul-healing aspect of a given week. It is that experience that is so sacred that God bundled it into creation when he spoke it, and he built it into community when he called them to obey the commands. They knew. They knew. They knew that. I mean, we kind of vilify them a lot, but they knew intellectually what God's purposes were for us. But they didn't like where Jesus was going with this because he's sort of turning it back around on them. And this could have been one of those moments where he stretches out his hand and it's restored. And people go home that afternoon and they say, hey, guess what happened at church today? It was awesome. The word was read and preached, and then a healing happened. And I'm guessing Jesus probably tied all this together in some way that we would reflect on it. No. No, they weren't having it. Scripture says they were filled with fury, and they discussed with one another what they might do with this Jesus. Now, I have conversations with my wife like, what are we going to do with this dog? What are we going to do with him? He can be really annoying. But I don't think that's the kind of conversation that was happening here. It was a conversation that said, we don't like how he's rearranging all of the furniture in the house that we've already appropriately placed uh, as it needs to stay. He's messing everything up. And this is the problem, isn't it? Is that their hearts are in this space where they understand the law. They even could probably give you the right answer on a pop quiz why the Sabbath is so important. But when it came to their own personal lives and shining the light back on themselves, well, that's another story. And my wife went to work out yesterday, and I, I've always tried to be nice to her at least once a week, um, uh, if not every day, all the time. 
And I was uh, sweeping the floor, so I decided she, I needed to sweep the floor, so I decided I would outsource that to my son. So I got him sweeping the floor and stuff, and the sun was coming in just right. And after he swept it, you know how when the sunlight is so bright, you can actually see every lap of dust? And I'm like, he's already been through this, and it's not clean. And I never even noticed that until the sun came in and it basically brought to light things that I, I didn't really want to see. And I know he didn't want to hear about it. But, you know, project managers who are overseeing managers like me, who are overseeing young people like Stephen, you got to do what you got to do. So I called him out on it, and he mopped it up, and it was all good, and the sun moved on, and we didn't see it anymore. It was all good. She didn't expect too hard, but when she does, she always finds something that, well, we miss. And these guys, they missed a lot. And the light is shining on them, and they don't like it. And Jesus is saying, you know, what's the Sabbath made for? And he was also saying at a deeper level, that very rest that it creates, I'm actually the fulfillment of what that signpost was drawing us into, and I've come here to show you that my, my burden is easy and my yoke is light, and that I will give you rest. Well, as I'm going through this whole story, you may be saying to yourself, Leonard, that's good as a history lesson, but let's be honest. The Sabbath is just not a big deal for me. And so maybe that's the problem altogether, is that we've gone too far the other way. And you may be wondering, is the Sabbath something that we should be doing or not doing? Where, where do we stand on that, and what does it mean? And that really has been a huge debate with the church for uh, a long time, but many of the early church uh, uh, theologians and people, have they settled on, on something that I, I think is worth revisiting. And that is, um, as the question began to emerge, and the Apostle Paul had to deal with it, should we keep the Sabbath? Do I, do I have to keep the Sabbath? And the Apostle Paul said, no, you don't. Because where it was going has actually materialized in the form of Jesus, and now he is our rest. He is the one who we rest in now. So maybe we need to look at it through a different lens. And the early church began to process it, and they said, you know what? The Jews had Saturday. We're going to take Sunday, and we're going to make that our day of worship and of focus on the life of Jesus, celebrating it, remembering it around the Lord's table, doing things together in community. Perhaps as Gentiles, you know, we, we, can, we, can, make a, we can prepare a meal. Not just like we're going to throw this bag of corn in the microwave for six minutes and hopefully it'll be farm fresh, delivered, tasty. No, maybe it's you take time, you get out the cutlery, you get out the onions, you get out the peppers and you get out all the things and you chop them up and then you build a meal and you have people over and you just savor life in community and that's after you come to church 
Because we all know that part of our stress issue is we couldn't come to church. And it's been difficult for us to find that structure again. And I, I know I felt like Nigel, like, you know, start whistling whenever I'm talking. And people be like, Leonard, you're upset. And it's because we couldn't do one of the many things that structured life in a way that not only reduced stress, but was actually very good and very satisfying. When you ask the question, what, what role does the Sabbath play for you and I? When the early church began to just take Sunday and say, do we have to do this? I don't know that it really ever said that. It just said on the first day of the, of the week, the disciples met. And it wasn't really prescribed per se, but it was something that we actually not only got to do, but we found that when we did, it was necessary. You know, I, I can't help but think, just as a sidebar, that when you look at all the churches that dot the landscape of this country, out in cornfields and in cities and on every corner, there was a sense at one time in this country where people recognized, you got to take that one day and you got to make it the Lord's. And then everything else will start to work like it should. But we're living in a moment where those churches are shutting down and the interest in what that means is going away and people are saying, you know what, we don't need God anymore. But if you are astute, all you have to do is look around and say, there's some fruit going on in our country that is not very good fruit. And I can't help but wonder if it's because that layer of life that involves God has been, well, it's been delayered and taken out. And now everybody just does what is right in their own eyes. So much so that we have to argue the point with everybody, don't we? We have to make sure that they know that I'm right and you're wrong. We have to make sure that we're divided on every point that we can conjure up. And if we can't conjure up one, we should come up with one. And this process of just finding ways to antagonize one another, well, it goes all the way back to here because you do miss the point. And I even shared with the elders the other night, I said, it is good for us to disagree it is good for us to argue. It is good for us to not even have the same opinions and sometimes even get a little mad at each other. But it's not good for us to leave this room and say, you know, well, underneath all of that, I feel safe with you as a human being because I know that what we, what we talked about or whatever in any given meeting, or my opinions, that's not larger than the value of being in relationship with you. And I honestly think our culture is saying relationships are not important. What's important is getting your way. I would say that the gospel is about a lot of things, and one of them is reconciling ourselves back to God. The other thing is reconciling ourselves back to each other. Jesus is the Lord of all of that. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's Lord of everything that's differentiated, but he's also the unifying point where we meet and discover what we do have in common, which is so much greater than what we don't. You know, I'd mentioned I'd lost a friend uh, this week, and it was, it was traumatic for me because I met this gentleman in college, and we hit it off, and we had so much in common but yet there's so much about his life and my life that we were able to add value in so many ways to each other. But we also argued a lot. We debated things. 
But we never left a conversation saying, you're not my friend anymore. It was always, no, there's something deeper here. And it, he was a safe space for me to express my opinions, to disagree with, and to find that at the end of the conversation, that's not really what we're about. And so when I heard he passed, it was pretty gut-wrenching. Matter of fact, it just felt like a part of me had died. Because we were never in a place where we were at odds. There was always a sense of profound acceptance with my friend John. Even when we just went toe-to-toe and we disagreed. He never took it personally. And he valued friendship in ways that um, I don't often experience. But I hope that I can be that person for other people. Well, let's move on. And as we're asking the question, what is the value of the Sabbath? I just want to say real quickly a few things. And I hope this records well because I'm an amateur holding a mic. I've been doing this for many years and I've never really held a mic much. So here we go. Do we have to keep the Sabbath? I'd say no, but maybe it would help. Maybe it's the best practice. And if you were to take the Sabbath, what would you learn from what we discovered? One is, well, it's designed to be 24 hours. And maybe you don't have 24 hours, and I understand, especially if you have kids and stuff like that, you have obligations and opportunities. Maybe make it six. But do what you can to increase it. So that the more you stop, the more you can rejuvenate. And you might say, well, I'll do it once a day for the whole week, but it's sort of like, <clears throat> yeah, I need some sleep, so I'm going to take eight naps instead of eight hours of sleep. You know, that's probably not going to work very well. I keep telling that to Nigel, but he doesn't get it, so I'll keep working on his reasoning. Sabbath is also a day of worship. It is not a day off. It means, you know what the word worship means? It means to ascribe worth to something. It's basically saying that or you are so valuable, you are worthy of my attention. And so maybe we take time to relax in the Lord, to pray, read the Psalms, which are really about remembering, and not doing those things that we normally do. And maybe you're thinking, well, it's a free day, so I'm going to do things differently. But the whole point is somehow God has to be at the center of it. The Sabbath means actually to cease. Well, if you can't do all that, here's what. I think you need to consider. You need to stop worrying and stop driving, at least for 24 hours, please. Why do I say that? Because Jesus said elsewhere, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? And essentially, he's talking to those overachievers who live in a day and an age that say you can never do enough. And that truly, since mergers and acquisitions in the 80s, when bottom line next quarter demands were put on the workplace, and so that filtered all the way down to you need to work harder, you need to work longer, and you need to feel guilty if you're not working harder, if you take a vacation, and all of that madness has been going on for 20 years in the workplace, where it's sort of like I can't not work because I'll feel guilty. The Sabbath is here to say, no, we got to reclaim something because 
Well, you have to stop doing that. And maybe part of the problem is you have to stop wanting. It's one thing to strive. It's another thing to strive because you're wanting. Perhaps you stop and you step back and you say, all this stuff that I desire, maybe I should stop and catalog what I have as a blessing and be content and not desire that next greatest best thing. Perhaps when you look at Sabbath, it's a way of saying, I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to strive because I just prayed the Lord's Prayer and God is the provider of my daily bread and everything else. Do I trust that? Do I trust that? And do I look at my desires and say, I need to take a day and step back and say, I need to recalibrate how much I strive for the things that I want and recognize all the riches that I already have. There's a lot of them. Family, church friends, whatever blessings you have, like Nigel, opportunities. I mean, I could just go on and on. I'm, I, I'm a very thankful person for so many reasons. Mostly they are because of the Lord of the Sabbath has gave me a deep soul contentment. But if I forget him, I lose it. Well, Sabbath doesn't mean I'm ready to stop. It means I'm ready to surrender. And I think that's a good way to approach it. What does it mean? Maybe it means to shut it down. Some people take their phones and their tech and they just say, I'm not going to do that for a day. Some people say, well, I know that I can't afford to do this, that there's no space in my calendar, but if I trust God who is greater than my calendar, if I trust God who is greater than all the things I strive for, if I trust God who is greater than everything I desire, maybe I should take a minute or 24 hours and rest in him. You know, this madness in the workplace about busy, 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 busy. There's actually a secular fast trend where people are saying, let's look at the Jewish people and see what they did because there's something that they're doing that seems to help because we're not doing so well. Burnout, depression, suicide, people falling apart. I mean, you read the obituary sometimes and you look at younger people and you're like, that's not supposed to happen. Maybe there is something to this. But even a secular fast cannot provide that one thing. And this is where I want to end. Only Jesus can provide that one kind of rest. Augustine said it, our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. But Jesus also said it. You have a very deep soul need that will never be satisfied 
anywhere else except by me. We strive a lot of times because we're trying to earn our worth. We're trying to validate ourselves before other people, before God. And you know what God says about the rest? Good. I bundled it into creation, built it into community. And now I'm going to give you a spirit of rest. But how does that happen? We're moving into the Easter season. And we've been going through the Lent guide, and we've been trying to practice the habits of Jesus. But really where it's all pointing to is the finished work, finished work of Jesus. Whatever it is that we're saying, I got to work harder, just a little bit more to get that one thing. Jesus says, it'll never happen. It'll never happen. You're that one thing that's pushing you. I'm the only one that can make it happen. And I did that on a cross that removed the burden of our guilt, our shame, our sin. And how many of you have ever went to bed at night and you looked in the mirror and you're like, I'm not happy about that. I don't like that view of the rear view. I don't like how that went down. I don't like maybe what I did. Jesus is there to say, I'll give you rest. I will give you rest. My grace is sufficient. The work that I've done completes it. And I want to invite you into it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we have taken, hopefully, your word, and we've allowed the substance of its meaning and the heart behind it to penetrate our very beings pray that I've capably handled your word in a way that your spirit can do the good work that you're called to do. And I pray, Father, for everyone here who has not found that rest in Jesus. pray that you help us to be a church that provides that safe space where two things that we have to do are love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and we have to love our neighbors ourselves as we're commanded. And everything else is an expression of what you do out of that. And obviously, we need lots of guidance. But the one thing we don't want to get wrong right here, Lord, is the fact that you've invited us into something that you have designed us for. And that is the rest that we have in Jesus and the spirit of rest that comes from that. Lord, I pray for everyone here who needs that today, that they would find it. Use myself and anyone that is in, in, in a place of leadership here, or however it is you're helping our people online, to make that confession of faith that you are Lord 
Lord of the Sabbath and Lord of my rest and Lord of my soul. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go into the next song, um, let's do something a little different. We're going to do our communion. Um, you can open it now. I don't want you to take it, though. Um, this next song is all about, the lyrics are just jam-packed full of the gospel and everything that Leonard wonderfully, and thank you, Leonard, directed us to find our rest in. It's where the scriptures are going that... So I want to ask you that you would open your communion, not take it, but wait for that place in the song where you hear the gospel. And in that moment where you find your rest in hearing the gospel, take your communion there remembering Jesus. We'll pray after the song, and, and then we'll sing another song in adoration of what God has done for us. Because, and this is only thing I would have to say for our communion talk is Jesus took the Sabbath from a day that we have to rest on as a, perhaps even a burden and he turned it to a peace that we get to rest in, in him would you stand with us
Father, I agree with the song. It says, I, I cannot give an answer that you should do this wonderful thing that you have done in Christ and, and, and give us sight of so much patience. But more than just sight, you give us gift. I can stand up here week after week and just talk about this gift, but if I'm honest, it's hard for me to actually believe that you still feel the way you do about us. When I look at the cross... Thank you for loving us like that when we are the ones who should have been there. Thank you for, give, for taking our place and giving us such grace and such mercy for spilling your blood for us. Help us to rest in the words that you have said from an unstuttering mouth that it is finished. So all have, who have peace with you because they've come through the cross because you've invited them having done the work. Help us to do all we can do and just to live a life of thanking you, praising you, rejoicing in you, finding our rest in you and following you because you bought it. Thank you. It's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. It's nice to be with you. We're going to close with one song, and uh, hope to see you all next week, too.
were lost and dead in sin, He came for us. Look what God has done. He adopted us in love. We were orphans without hope, but now His children.
God, you're awesome. We love you. We praise you and give this morning to you. Just pray for everybody as we go from this place that we put you first in everything and serve you better each day. Amen. Hope you all have a nice day. Don't forget your kids.